Welcome to NoClip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rothermans. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Time Splitters Future Perfect, which was developed by Free Radical Design, published by EA Games, and was released in 2005 on the GameCube, PlayStation 2, and Xbox. But first, if you could give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. So, Time Splitters Future Perfect, and by extension, all of the Time Splitters games that ever were, uh, are first person shooter games. And they were among the crop of, like, first person shooters on consoles that became popular as sort of pseudo party games, uh, that started in the 90s with games like GoldenEye, obviously. But as it went on to the like next generation of consoles, I feel like the field really exploded and the overall quality of the majority of them went down pretty drastically. Uh, I don't know if you have any experience with this at all. Uh, not really. Um, I never even played GoldenEye. The only thing I really have any similar experience to at all is the multiplayer shooter thing in Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> I somehow um, knew that was what you were was also say. made by Rare, though. So true. Um, playing the some of the map design, I thought in the multiplayer felt a little bit like that, but it's probably because it was kind of like GoldenEye and Donkey Kong. But uh, I I only ever played Time Splitters at Dan's house as a kid, so I have very very limited exposure experience to this game specifically, and less to like this kind of genre of party shooter. Yeah. And I should mention, uh, I I would say that the debate over which Time Splitters game, if you're going to cover a Time Splitters game, first of all, there's a a tertiary debate that happens prior to that, which is, do you cover a Time Splitters game? And the scales heavily weigh no on that for most people. Uh, But when you're looking at the the trilogy, as it were, Time Splitters, Time Splitters 2, and then Future Perfect, this is the third game in the series, which makes it the most, like updated and the most mechanically clean um but to me like if it was to me if i was the one making the decision i feel like time splitters one would have been the more interesting thing but we can kind of lump a lot of that conversation into this as well so i think this pans out in the end mm-hmm. um but also this game was requested so <laughs> yes it was very specifically requested and we weren't gonna say no about it so um yeah, I, I did, I had, I was going to say some experience that's kind of underselling it. I played a shitload of these games when I was a kid, to the point where I can even make the comparison I'd opened this episode with. Mm-hmm. Um, I did play all three of the Time Splitters games. Uh, I probably put the actual most time into Time Splitters 2, uh, which I had on the GameCube. But my experience does go as far back as GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, uh, which I will make a more nuanced comparison to when we get to talking about the multiplayer in this game but those games it does feel very similar in the same vein and it's really hard to separate all of these games and therefore the whole sort of genre has this nostalgic aura around it for me and i'm sure for a lot of other people it feels very of the time Mm -hmm. um so i think that makes sense yeah like the console first person shooter 
just is it embodies a certain quality that and I don't mean high quality I just mean quality of game where there's sort of a, a wackiness to the multiplayer and a uh, general control scheme and stuff things that like were introduced in GoldenEye and have stayed as part of the genre up until today but still like just like a sense uh, of of how it plays I don't know we'll get into mechanics and I'll, I'll discuss this more at length but yeah it's a it's a fun time it's been a fun time for a while <laughs> and going back to it does make you really appreciate the strides that we've made <laughs> but yeah let's let's uh let's get into because we don't have much to talk about as far as history goes because I'm the only one with a big history right. here. Uh, let's jump into to like exploring the mechanics because that's pretty obviously what this game is is mostly like mm-hmm. its entirety. Um, and but what we did to prepare for this podcast was play through the entirety of the campaign and then also played multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did one of the challenges, even though I know that that's kind of like a big through line for the series Mm -hmm. challenge everything challenge everything ea games we'll talk about it in that a little bit but i didn't spend a lot of time with it i did not even look at them Mm. yep (laughs) (laughs) uh so how was your how how did you enjoy playing a playstation 2 era first person shooter campaign um i I liked it all right. Um, It was really... The thing that stood out to me first um, and foremost was, like, the tone of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll talk about that later. Um, Mechanically, like, I keep... Because I didn't play shooters growing up. um, I keep being surprised when I come to, like, an older shooter and it controls exactly how I expect it to. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems like those controls have been set in stone longer than I think they have. And also, I thought this game was older than it is. Like, I was surprised to see that it came out in 2005. I probably would have guessed, like, 1999 or 2000. Right. Um, But, um, yeah, so I I thought that, like, the aim assist was pretty... uh, huge or like very lenient or whatever that helped a lot uh i and yeah once i had to go into and you gave me the tip of like what to set the sensitivity to yeah uh that made it a lot easier because like just default it felt like way too hard to aim um but like once i'd made those couple of adjustments that we figured out we workshopped Mm -hmm. um i I thought it was actually like pretty like brisk and fun um it kind of has this like cinematic quality like the levels are very much feel like they're about telling a little story um so i enjoyed that um i and i like the like the variety of levels and stuff yeah uh i do want to it's just to mention just to get this out of the way up top uh the i i do not know how much nostalgia has clouded my vision because my belief is that the third-party, now-many-years-old controllers that we were using with Mm. the PlayStation 2 were more at fault than the game. But uh, we sent the sensitivity of of what they call turn speed, uh, because we didn't have terms really mapped out in 2005, or at least 
I guess free radicals didn't mm-hmm. uh, to zero to not zero point zero nothing the sensitivity. And the reason for that is because the game basically does not allow you to make fine aiming adjustments. By the time that you've moved the control stick in a way that it's registering as being moved, it just, like, flies off the side of the screen, like, instantaneously. And it's really difficult to play a shooter when you have to do wide-sweeping movements. Like, it would be different in other first-person games where this would be fine, uh, like if you had melee combat or something, but because it is a shooter and because there's like a weird number of levels in this game that ask you to snipe things, mm-hmm. it is just impossible to aim without turning the sensitivity way, way down. And the default is super high. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that is a thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, grain of salt, that could be our controllers Yeah, and th- that might not be the game. Uh, so don't take that as like a general criticism. Uh, but to talk about the actual like levels, I think that one of the the key selling points of the Time Splitters franchise, because it is a game about traveling through time, uh, there is a huge variety, and they don't do it in the what I've been calling the like Super Nintendo way of lava level, lava level, ice level, level. go to space, yeah, that kind of shit, yeah. Um, which, I mean, I love that, and, like, when if you pull that off in, like, a way that is cute, I, I do enjoy yeah, that. It worked when games were more abstract. Mm-hmm. But now it feels, like, kind of hokey. And, like, I called it out when fucking Mario Odyssey did it. I was like, mm. oh, yeah, you get the dinosaur level, you get the lava level, you get the ice yeah. level. I guess 3D platformers do feel like they're kind of an exception. That's true. They do feel like a, a, a relic of a bygone era. Yeah, like, it makes more sense to, like, be platforming in, like, a, a lava area <laughs> with, like, molten, like, cooled rock platforms. It gives, like, a, a good video. excuse as to why you die when you fall. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this game ends up being, because it is like, you are, a, and God, no, I do not remember before you ask the plot of Time Splitters or Time Splitters 2. I know that Cortez is, who is the pri- who's the main character in this game, I think is in Time Splitters 2 as the main character, but I don't know if he comes from the first game or not. Yeah, just uh, out of sheer curiosity, I looked up reviews of this. Mm-hmm. There were a surprising number of recent reviews, I thought, <laughs> but I didn't watch any of those. I found the IGN review from 10 years ago. Good. Um, and they said that in the first two games, uh, the like a I don't know if it was Cortez or not, but like a person from whatever organization you're a part of is sent to each time period and occupies a body of somebody in that. So you're playing a different character in each level. Yeah, that sounds correct from my little memory of of Time Splitters 2. Yeah, but it it does. It affords uh, a level of creativity to everything, and the game smartly gets out of the past very quickly. There's, like, one level in World War I, one level in the 60s, and then you just, and then one in the nineties, yeah. And then you jump from there into the future, like twenty fifty four or something like that. Yeah, because there's like, in like the the fictional history of this game, history was normal up until two thousand five, and then 
there's like a robot war at some point, mm-hmm. and then the Time Splitters War, which is what you're taking pl- part in now. Um, and so you go through basically leading up into present day, and then I think the last level is actually like a weird... You kind of jump forward, then back again. Like, mm-hmm. you never go into the future from the the main plot's setting. Right. So you you do a couple of levels that are just like World War One level just look straight out of Call of Duty, except you're in a castle, uh-huh. so it's cooler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the level in the 60s is, like, very bland. I think it's my least favorite level in the yeah, entire except game. Except for the second part of it, which is on a train. Yeah, the train one is cool. Uh, and then the 90s one is probably the best level in the game, uh, where you're in a haunted mansion. Because, yeah... <laughs> And then Haunted Mansion Scream 90s. They really do. They did manage to capture the 90s in a way I was kind of surprised by. Uh, I feel like it only really came across in the one character with the slut t-shirt. Yeah. uh, Joe Beth Casey. That's it. That's her (laughs) name. Uh, Yeah, but it has that sort of like very schlocky 90s horror vibe. Mm to it to i me. kind of associate that more with the 80s but you're more of the horror buff so i won't <laughs> question you <laughs> i mean i'm imagining like john carpenter in his heyday so sure. that's like 80s late 80s early 90s um regardless it goes through those and it's it's interesting because like an episode of doctor who if it's set in the past i don't give a shit about it <laughs> and if it's set in the future then it's really cool and they get to do a lot of character design that's nice chad known hater of history i do <laughs> <laughs> i know you're not a doctor who watcher no i'm not but if you watch episodes of doctor who you wouldn't be able to map it on here because basically every past set episode is like uh we go to the past just for kicks oh no look it's fucking da vinci or something (laughs) Uh and there's just like one historical figure and they do a real cheeky like origin story for them in Uh. a way that is really stupid and then they leave and doctor who fans probably hate me for that Uh but uh, they don't do it as elegantly as star trek does yeah present or future fiction Mm -hmm. is better than past fiction because past fiction has a weird hang up with historical figures. Sure. And, and just... they don't want to like fuck up the timeline by like killing Da Vinci or something. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I feel like, cause this game doesn't bring in historical figures. So that criticism doesn't really hold mm-hmm. up, but it is just like the first level of the game to really, well, I mean the first level is, is like a run through a Canyon level. Which yeah. Is fine. Like the, uh, inciting incident level. Mm-hmm. It is, it's very much like the opening level to like any first person shooter where they have to put you in some kind of conflict to give mm-hmm. you a tutorial um, before you start the actual time hopping. I kind of forget where I even started with this and where uh, I was going, but it just is a nice variety is what I wanted to yeah, say. Yeah, no, that's probably my favorite thing about this game. Mm-hmm. Um, as the loading screens will tell you over and over again, uh, there's 150 characters and there's a lot of weapons. Yeah. Like, there's just a nice variety to everything that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they do... It's, it's a lot of fun. Yes. They do a good job of making it fun by introducing sort of, like, a completely different conceit for each level. Mm-hmm. And, like... Some of it's a little bit lazy, sure, but, like, it's not 
none of it is game breaking and because the the core fighting and like objective completion of the game is kind of the same throughout it never gets it never even really has a chance to stumble too hard Mm -hmm. uh it's kind of i don't want to say it's lowest common denominator because it is a little it does go a bit above and beyond like like night fire like the bad uh golden eye sequels Mm -hmm. but like it is very sort of You'd start a level with it with one gun, even if the level is a direct continuation from a previous level. Mm-hmm. And then you get more guns as the action escalates. And then there's usually like a boss at the end. And that's it. You move on from there. And so it, it takes very few risks as far as its gameplay goes. But that does allow it to be very uh, tonally all over the place and like zany. Yeah, like, the gameplay, it feels very, like, standard or, like, tried and true. But, and, like, the thing about it that I think makes it stand out is it, it that variety gives it, like, a toy box feel. Mm-hmm. And, like, each new gimmick, it's like you drop everything into a new setting with a new gimmick and you get to, like, use all the different, like, guns and things in, like, a little bit of a different way. Like, this one, like, the Haunted House has more of a focus on the baseball bat and the flamethrowers which makes it stand out from the other ones. And the the future level with the RoboCop enemies, like 2054 or whatever Mm -hmm. um, the year was, has the gun that lets you, like, shoot out the security system. And, you know, you get fun little things like that, like a little gimmick in each one. Um, And, yeah, like, it keeps it light and cinematic. And, it like, I think it makes it work for the most part. Obviously, there's some fumbles. But, like, it does throw everything at the wall. And so, yeah, as you said, the the stumbles don't really get a chance for you to be like to like sink in before you're onto a new thing yeah all of that tone and stuff uh like tone aesthetics the music everything about the the sort of design of the game like what's forward facing to the consumer when they pick the game up is really smart because none of it goes it none of it aspires to something like above what it's capable of it is, it's very, like, the aesthetics are really, like, the, it, the all the characters are really poofy. Like, they're big, and they have uh, large features, like big hands and feet, uh, which makes the animation stand out. Mm-hmm. And it looks very cartoony, and the tone is really light and campy. And so it, it, it takes, like, the, it's like a game that, I guess because it came out in 2005, takes the limitations of its medium very like it feels like it knows them very mm-hmm. well yeah you saw that a lot in games of the time like it actually reminded me a lot of the um some of the tony hawk games like underground or american wasteland and the way the characters are modeled mm-hmm. um it even uh reminded me a little bit of like eternal darkness or something like it feel like it very much from that time or like it felt like you wanted to go a little bit more realistic but you had to go a bit cartoony to make things not look uh, like old Shit. GTA <laughs> box faced people. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, you gotta. You, there's definitely some uh, contemporaries that this reminded me of. Well, yeah, and you bring up GTA, which is such a, which is actually a perfect comparison because like Grand Theft Auto Three is a game that did really well and was praised, and like people can still go back to it and enjoy themselves playing the game. But it went for a more realistic look. 
And because of that, the thing that people call out about it now is the fact that everyone looked fucking stupid. Yeah. And, like, no shade. Like, I don't really like the GTA games. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever brought that up on the podcast before, so you can send me your hate mail. But um, I remember thinking they looked bad even back then. Mm-hmm. Like, they're another game I only ever played at friends' houses, and it's maybe because I played stuff like Kingdom Hearts, or, like, I tended to only really play games that were, like that looked really good on the ps2 like there's such a wide variety of visual quality but like yeah gta was really ambitious and stuff so a lot of that's like uh performance issues and things like that but yeah gta is always interesting to me graphically and i only bring it up because i don't feel like we're gonna have that much to say about (laughs) this game uh is that uh like Rockstar really showed its roots in that like they're the developer of like the original Grand Theft Auto which is a top-down game and like Midnight Club Racing. So like when you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you're in a car, it looks totally fine. And then it looks like the Dreamcast character who fucking exploded out of your TV like the girl from the ring stole your car because it then gets out of the car this totally unreal blocky weird man Mm -hmm. and runs around with his arms flailing wildly and this game avoids that by just having cartoon men which is way better uh, aesthetically anyway in in much smaller linear levels Mm mm-hmm Oh, yeah, that was another thing. It's just, like, these levels are, it's, okay, we're talking about the campaign, Mm -hmm. so this seems like a reasonable thing to bring up right now. The the level disparity between short levels and long levels was massive. There were, like, levels in this game that took me seven minutes to finish, and then levels that took me an hour. And I don't understand at all how they like divided it up like did they just have way too many ideas and just packed them all into one zone and then we're like well this next one you're just gonna go from point a to point b uh, i don't know to me they a lot of them felt pretty comparable in length except for like at the last few like the last like three felt pretty short yeah um and i don't know that's just because they were like wanted to have like the last level just be like mostly just the boss stuff like that but well, there's no checkpoint true in the yeah. last level so if you die to the boss you have to play the opening part again which right. seems like a bad choice yeah yeah but i don't know maybe it's because i'm not as good at shooters but like to me uh they all felt like they were about the same length it might be like the fact that a lot of they're broken up into two parts and maybe some levels seemed more seamlessly put together than others yeah. I will say my biggest complaint about the campaign. Well, I have two <laughs> I have two complaints. They're very similar. The first complaint is that you spend far too much time with Harry Tipper. Mm. One, his name is kind of a bad joke. Uh and two, he is in the worst level in the whole game. Uh which is a very long level that implies that you should be using stealth but gives you really no way to be stealthy like you can crouch and move but the enemy placement for the most part is just like always gonna see you no matter what yeah there's no actual stealth mechanics in the game yeah it's just it's just walking and shooting that's what they had down you can't even jump in this one Mm -hmm. uh and then it puts you in 
uh, this dumb sniper thing where they the the health bar that you're trying to protect is a character who isn't on screen and is just a timer. Like, it just goes down whether people are shooting bullets at him or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really long. It's like, you have to clear out two whole encampments. And, I mean, like, if you execute it perfectly, it probably takes about 90 seconds, like a minute and a half. Uh-huh. But you won't execute it perfectly. You will fuck it up. Uh, and then my second complaint, which is tied to that, is that the next to last level requires you to snipe invisible enemies... Which makes it literally impossible to do. You just have to wait until they throw an attack, hope they miss, and then shoot at them. So if they had just taken the sniping sections out of this game, I would have been, like, ecstatic. Yeah, like, uh, when I got to that first part in the the 60s level, um, I just, like, met up with him, mm-hmm. with Harry Tipper. Uh <laughs> And uh, I forgot that's what his name was. Yep. But uh, it, like, and I just started going up this ladder, and he's just like, "All right, I hope you know what you're doing." And I was like, "Oh no!" Like I just cut off some dialogue. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then I like didn't know what to do. Like I got the sniper rifle, but had no idea he was like doing a thing over there. So I just proceeded into the house and was fighting guys, and his health bars going down, and I'm like, "What's happening?" <laughs> Uh, so then I like I looked it up like I uh, what to do, and saw that you could throw grenades over uh, to where he was uh, to where he was uh, sneaking in, and that makes that part so much easier. Yeah, because you uh, you can't hit him because his character model is not even loaded as far as I know. I think he he shows up a few times like he's running. Yeah, he around. pops out of a, a manhole. Yeah, and then he goes into a bunker. Right, and then the enemies come. But out. then he runs to a few other spots. Yeah, and then but yeah, he when runs. he's hiding, I think he probably deloads. Yeah, so you can just throw those grenades pretty much at will. Yeah, uh, but I did not know this. Yeah, uh, it makes it way easier. Yeah, I I just repeated it like eleven times and just <laughs> yeah. had to learn how to shoot people in the head. Yeah, but no, I totally sympathize because sniping is hard, and I thought that was just a me thing. No, definitely not. Especially not in this PlayStation Two era game mm-hmm. with the weak ass uh, analog sticks. Uh, but yeah, so Harry Tapper is not a great character. Um, and I would argue most of the characters in this game are not great characters. Yeah, I, I don't think you're supposed to like them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I always like a good companion character, and I thought I liked what they added. They add to that like cinematic feel and like give the levels like that kind of sense of a story. Yeah, which I'm into. I like the robot at the <laughs> end. They bring him back for multiple levels, so they must have the development team must have liked him too. Yeah, the robot was good. I, I think that they do a good job of making these characters. Like, I know a lot of like, I guess I should say I've read a lot of D and D related stuff where people think that they've made a backstory for their character, but don't communicate it as well as the characters who are in this game for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, there's this, like, implication... Like, it's really heavy-handed at the beginning, because that first character, they keep talking about how, like, oh, maybe this guy was a thief before. Mm-hmm. And then he does really obvious thief stuff. And et cetera, et cetera. All of this shit about this guy. Mm-hmm. And it, I was like, that was kind of weak. Like, I like him on screen. I think he's a charismatic kind of character that I like 
in a game. Mm-hmm. But the whole like thief backstory came off as like a little hokey to me. But then I actually like the fact that Harry Tipper being like the stereotypical like uh, British secret agent, except he's in the sixties uh, and in the American Austin powers. Yeah, like it's it's a good. Uh, like style of thing to spoof because it's easy and like the markers are all there but like having the henchman be like oh no it's harry tipper our our mortal enemy (laughs) and like talk about how dreamy and attractive he is like while they're shooting at us is is funny like it's actually genuinely funny because he just like i don't need to explain i guess Uh why that joke is is a is a joke Mm -hmm. but yeah it's good It, it makes you think sort of like about the history of this character that you don't actually give a shit about, but, like, you just have a little notion of what it is. Yeah, it gives your mind something to chew on. Mm-hmm. And the same applies, like, going forward. Joe Beth Casey is pretty, like, weak as far as, like, character development goes. Yeah, the whole joke with her is just that t-shirt. Yeah, she has a t-shirt that says slut on it. And, like, I'm not gonna say out loud in public on a podcast that Joe Beth Casey may have been like my sexual awakening as a teen. Uh, but I will say that there's a weird emphasis between like a weird dichotomy between how the game treats the character and how the character acts Mm -hmm. because, which I guess is the same thing. The writers were just confused Uh because Anya, who's your like, uh, earpiece girl Cortana yeah you're Cortana who is apparently observing everything has all of these jokes about how she is dumb but the character doesn't seem dumb really at all like mm-hmm. she's not written as like a dumb guy and she just kind of acts how a normal person acts most of the time her thing is that she talks about her butt a lot so, the, like, which neither of these are interesting, good character traits. <laughs> so, like, you can go ahead and strike good character off of the list of possibilities for this. Mm-hmm. But it's weird that there's, like, maybe Anya just thinks people who talk about their butt are naturally dumb. I think it's supposed to be, like, a, a judgy thing. Mm. Like, the fact that she's, like, young and promiscuous, like, she doesn't like that right and so she's just taking it out that way yeah so she's just insulting her yeah anya despite being a presence during the entirety of the game gets no characterization yeah i actually like i don't remember if it was established or not that she's a person but Mm. i assumed she was an ai assistant the whole game until you meet her at the end yeah and i didn't know if the game was going for that and then showing that she's a real person at the end was supposed to be like a little twist or revelation it isn't because she is in the first okay. levels end cutscene yeah, she's, but I, yeah she's it's easy to up, overlook she straight up came off like a robot or like an ai to me mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't even like because she's in that first level she, like as you meet her in person when you get to the base do you i see i completely forgot about that <laughs> but yeah you don't actually she doesn't say like here take this earpiece i'll be talking to you she's already been talking to you so yeah you have no fucking idea uh 
like what her purpose even is and the same goes for the commander who gets introduced and goes like we need our best men on this mission <laughs> and then you go and then he shows back up at the end is like you brought me a robot i was like there isn't a through line with this character where that joke like is like set up and pay off it's mm-hmm. just like a dumb thing that he said <laughs> yeah so i guess there's one problem with the variety of levels approach is that you can't really do setup and payoff. Like, no. you get one in this game with him saying that it's time to split and getting, like, criticized for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely, like, it does have some good writing in it, like, good comedic writing anyway. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't feel like it's really concerned with, like, telling a good story or, like, doing, uh, like, a long form setup and payoff from, like, the beginning to the end of the game kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it throws goofy things at the wall just as much, if not more, than they act, they write actual jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like, the plot doesn't exactly take itself seriously either. No. Like... It's like a spoof of, like, a lot of different, like, action movies and things. Like, that corny 80s action movie tone like if they made a time splitters movie you'd cast like nick cage in it like it would be self-aware yeah i feel like if you made a time splitters movie it would just be the movie crank 2 <laughs> yeah that's not I... a bad comparison or but if they made it now they would totally want to cast the rock as cortez right honestly he wouldn't be bad <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad cast, really. <laughs> All right, Nick Cage is Harry Tipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I if would you watch could, that. If you could pull Vin Diesel in from the Riddick movies, mm-hmm. so not Vin Diesel, but John Riddick. <laughs> I'm saying John because I don't uh-huh. know what his actual first name is. Just pull that character in as Cortez and be like, here's a script. Yeah. You're in a movie where we show it on a screen. Mm-hmm. That would be a good a cast. A hologram well. Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the actual plot of this game seems to be, to me anyway, that you give the bad guy the idea to do the the evil thing. Yeah, then you give him the means to do it. Right. So that you can stop the thing that he has now done because you've done that. Yeah. Uh it's weird. I it doesn't it's a game that is called Time Splitters and is about time travel and has lots of time travel based mechanics in it. There's one time travel based mechanic in uh-huh. it. And it doesn't give one fuck about the rules of time travel, and I personally love that. Oh, yeah. it's. I think my favorite joke in the whole thing is how much they don't care. Like, Cortez doesn't care at all. Like, um, what's her name? Anya? Mm-hmm. You just said it, yeah. Uh, tells you the first time you run into a wormhole, like, don't jump in it. You could, like, tear apart <laughs> space-time and stuff. And he just does and just continues to do it casually and interacts with himself uh and it's it's a gag in every level mm-hmm. uh and it's just treated really casually and i i found that to be surprisingly funny just how much he just doesn't care about any of the implications of time travel yep and like the the first of all i don't know this this struck me i say this all the time where i'm like oh you reused resources that was smart and good and i like that you did that 
Uh, this time it does feel bad, and I didn't like it. Because they do just play identical cutscenes at the beginning and end of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Which I get, it's cute. But also, like, why am I sitting through this multiple times? I don't know, I thought that worked. Like, I thought that's part of, like, what made it funny. Is it just, he just, it's like you can tell the characters, like, excited to loop <laughs> back around and to say the same things that he said to himself before. Like, I don't know. I just, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I mean... Um, and they were always short. True, yeah. There was only a couple instances where it went on for more than, like, one minute. Yeah. So, that's fair. The, uh... I will say, we talked about uh, Manny Calavera. And right. how he <laughs> differentiates himself from other, like, two cool video game protagonists. Like, how he is the above and beyond. Like, he's so cool in a goofy enough world that it just works. Yeah, he's, like, actually cool and suave. And I think that Cortez actually works as well because he aesthetically is set up to look like a rocker of Vin Diesel. Mm -hmm. And and they play it for laughs predominantly. And it makes the character kind of believable when he does really, like, eccentric, wacky bullshit. It's endearing. Yeah. Like, he's not as bad as he could have been. Yeah, he's a himbo. He's a bit of a himbo. Mm-hmm. He's like a Dionysus. Uh, <laughs> no, he's no one's that good. No Come one on. is that... Okay, He's he aspires to a Dionysus. Okay, there we go. He's a himbo that's silly. Uh, <laughs> that's... He's not quite handsome enough. <laughs> Man, the confusion... <laughs> If the title of this episode is Himbo That Silly and it's on time splittings, people will be like, what the fuck were they talking about? Uh, Harry Tipper is the better himbo. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the conversations that goes on in that level. Mm -hmm. They were the bad guys are shooting at you. That's no, that's that's the conversation that goes on in Time Splitters Future Perfect web forums in two thousand and six. Uh, oh, okay. One other thing about the campaign, at least uh, mm-hmm. before we we break and 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 reconvene, mm-hmm. um, there is a ton, not a bayonetta level of this, but a ton of just like ancillary bullshit. Yep, early two thousands force variety. Yeah, play a sound effect. <laughs> party popper goes yep. off children chorus of children in the background going yay mm-hmm. uh the, i kind of like that so much of it doesn't matter and just doesn't do anything like there's a point in the game where you can drive a cat like an rc car but it doesn't like you don't have to do it and it doesn't accomplish anything if you do do it it's just sort of there mm-hmm. uh Plus, you've got, like, the requisite driving missions. Uh, There's a slot machine. There's all kinds of, like, weird, like, force variety stuff in this game. And uh, it plays into the challenges a bit, but it is just kind of a very strange decision to to jam it all in here. Yeah, it's just a very of-the-time kind of thing. Um, We've talked about this on other episodes. You Mm -hmm. mentioned Bayonetta, but I feel like studios felt like they had to do stuff like this at the time 
um, so they could put it on the back of the box, like, ah, oh, eight cool driving levels, or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel like I hated all the vehicle sections, you know, as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't like the part where you got in the giant robot and had to shoot at the uh, the uh, ships, the gunner ships flying by. Yeah. With, like, the heat-seeking missiles, that part was really hard. Um, but, yeah, I like that kind of optional stuff, though. It's, like, always fun. Like, that's something um, that you used to get a lot more of in games when they didn't cost as much to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, like, one-off weird thing, you know, that somebody probably put together, and they were like, throw it in the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's fun to see that kind of stuff, but... You you definitely knows on this one, um, mm-hmm. because that was my takeaway also. Like, it seemed like they had just gotten the design of this game down so much, and they because they they were yeah. Just that's like, another thing is that it's a sequel, so you can do weird shit. Yeah, I know that at least the first game was actually developed by IDOS. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know if the second one is or not, but I don't think the first two were published by EA. So yeah. there's a, probably a difference there. Regardless, like, there's definitely some, like, past experience here. And I think they just had the systems down and knew what yeah, they wanted and to the do. And the code and all that. And somebody was just like, what if we just made the cat drivable? And they were like, sure. Mm-hmm. like That would be funny. Yeah, toss that in. But I agree, the driving levels were largely bad. Like, yeah. not just forgettable, but, like, actively bad mm-hmm. uh with a particular shout out to the one where you just walk around in a stupid robot and shoot those planes not because it was like it it killed you and made you do it a bunch of times it was just they it was they were really sparse yeah and it just the, took getting a long like, time getting like the last two was like very frustrating <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of sucks yeah uh so I guess add that, like, the sniper missions, we're just talking, anytime they break away from that core golden eye ass shoot a guy with a gun gameplay, then do the sniper missions and the driving missions, it just, and the, and the pipe dream hacking minigame, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. I mean, I actually didn't mind the pipe dream so much, but like. Me neither, except for like the really hard ones. Right. Uh, but like all that stuff is just worse than the core gameplay and it's not that long. No. <laughs> so they really could have just cut it and it wouldn't have made that big of a difference. Uh, I don't know. Those are the ups and downs. Pros feels like Goldeneye. Cons got shoot those plants. <laughs> Keep that neck warm. Gonna come a storm, man. In order to keep our neck warm, our necks warm, our but we'll keep both of our necks warm by getting a really long scarf, uh-huh. and we'll get that scarf on, on the, the break. break. <laughs> that one, you're going. Got lost along the way. I sure did, but you know. <laughs> Welcome back. I did want to talk about. So hold on. Did we? Do we think that we covered everything that we want to about the campaign? Because I feel like there's just a couple of things that we could touch on. Some stragglers. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the multiplayer, which <laughs> is probably what most people actually remember this game for. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about sort of 
bosses and how they were universally pretty boring with one big exception that I'm a huge fan of. Mm. Uh, and that is Creature is what it is called. Uh, it's the it's the tank version of the of the main bad guy where you shoot all of his uh like weapons off of him yeah uh like in a first person shooter there's a place for big bullet spongy bosses um you'll note that in a lot of the more famous popular fps's they aren't as much of a thing like half-life doesn't have bosses really except for the end one uh and half-life 2 also is pretty light on bosses there are a few like big set piece encounters but there's not much else uh doom would be sort of the one that i point to as being an fps that does have bosses that has been successful recently Mm -hmm. um whereas a lot of the time a boss in an fps just kind of is a uh an enemy that takes a lot of shots and normally doesn't engage that much um it's not really the genre's strengths but there's a place for a boss that just takes a lot of bullets because uh, especially in classic fps's you have this like the arsenal right uh ian danskin actually uh innuendo studios did a really good video about this last year um where you want a, a, an arsenal in an FPS that feels diverse and satisfying to use. And a lot of the time you end up sort of finding like a niche or like a single weapon that you just keep coming back to. Like it's the thing that you walk around with most of the time because it does a good job at regular enemies. And so a boss gives you an opportunity to really break out the big guns, right? Like the things that you don't literally, use. Yeah, literally the biggest guns. The, the mini gun, the rocket launcher, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to spin this into the first topic that I have on multiplayer as well. Mm-hmm. But I like Creature because it is a really atypical boss that goes against a lot of the design that bosses usually have in games. I like that it is a it is a big health pool, but it's a health pool that gets easier the longer the fight goes on because mm-hmm. you're actually destroying the ways that it has to damage you. Uh, so you get to go in guns blazing and chop down a big, huge part of the fucking throw grenades at him, shoot rockets and whatever, have mm-hmm. a good time. And then once you've sort of chipped off as much as you can just by blasting indiscriminately, you have to more surgically attack certain parts of it. And I think it's a really interesting design. It's just not something that you normally see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with your call out that that's the best one, like mm-hmm. the main boss, one of his versions. Um, but I think the thing about um, the other bosses that's bad is that they don't really feel like bosses like they don't feel like they're designed to be boss encounters so much as they feel kind of jerry-rigged to just like be a big thing that you shoot and they don't really feel like they have like a boss mechanic as much um like the tank in the first level it's just kind of like throw a grenade at it so it's stunned and then go up and put like c4 on it yep um it's not really like they didn't really put 
it seems like development time into like making unique bosses. Yeah. There's the one boss, which I want to shout out as being the worst boss, maybe of all time. Mm-hmm. That is just the guy in a jetpack. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he just kind of like bobs around wildly. And you just spray him with bullets. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's hard to fail because he just has a gun like a regular enemy and just shoots at you but because he's flying around so rapidly he rarely hits you and so the challenge is just can you shoot him a bunch of times Mm -hmm. which before you take enough chip damage (laughs) yeah and that is it's funny like when you see somebody do it it looks like something that i would make in fucking game builder garage because it just seems like they put a random number generator on him and just let him go Mm -hmm. like gary's mod yeah that's a better comparison (laughs) uh the one boss i want to call out and it's more of a mini boss is the um like the mutant zombie deer Mm, yeah uh in the, the deer haunted, haunter the deer haunter in the uh the 90s haunted house level because it's really aggressive it like bursts out of the wall and is actually like intimidating in a way that is kind of scary yeah. appropriate for the level yeah we didn't talk Puts about pressure on you <laughs> we didn't talk about many of the levels specifically but that one definitely deserves to be talked about one of the big problems that i have with this game and I'm going to blame modern hardware here uh, more than anything else, um, but it is hard to see a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that is a lot to do with our TV, mm-hmm. um, because I remember Metroid Prime, when we played that, it seeming really dark. Yeah. Uh, and I've watched a little bit of gameplay of this on um, on YouTube, and I don't know if this had, like, if they were emulating it. Uh, but like it looks like way brighter on the capture footage that other people had. So yeah, and I think that it is like a difference. Like in two thousand and five, uh huh. <laughs> thank God for that paper. Uh, in two thousand and five, like yes, flat screen TVs were a thing, but they weren't super they weren't, common. They weren't HD TVs, right? So you end up with kind of a weird middle ground uh, era. And I think that this game was just sort of more developed for the time when, like, TVs had lots of, like, had gamma settings in them. Yeah. (laughs) I tried turning the brightness up on our TV. It didn't do fucking anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's still at plus five. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't turn it back down last time I changed it. You can't tell. No, not at all. Uh, Yeah, so that's the, this is, this is the world of, of, 2021 playing playstation 2 games uh-huh. uh but regardless of all of that like the level is dark but it's that that way for atmosphere there are levels later in the game that are dark that just seem to serve no purpose it just is dark yeah they're just to be moody i guess yeah like it is kind of atmospheric You're in- infiltrating but it's as... the underground layer kind yeah, of thing it's just not as appropriate whereas in this uh in this level, it is a horror level. Like, the 90s level is very cool because it is a direct send-up of, like, tropes that are established in Resident Evil and in zombie movies and games at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Doom 3. <laughs> like Doom 3, which actually would love to see the release dates because they had to have been so close together. Yep. I, I feel like Doom 3 was, like, 2003. Uh, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, 
but yeah, you run in with a baseball bat and like there are zombies and you have to kill them by hitting them in the head. There's like sandworms out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, in that one part, <laughs> unless I missed something, yeah. Yeah, it's really limited. There's just one instance of that. <laughs> you happening. had to introduce the flamethrower. Uh, and then ghosts and zombie mutants and things. And there's like a cool, uh, there's a cool room and a very cruel room, uh, (laughs) where you can like access this computer terminal to fuck with a zombie. Like you do, they, like, it's implied that they're doing experiments on the zombie and you can activate some very classic N64 cheat codes, like big head mode on him mm. and stuff, and it changes, like, it just fucks with his character model, and you can look at it, and it's funny. But then, like, one room over, there's one where there's just a live human scientist in it, and you can do the same thing to him, yep. which feels very Duke Nukem 3D to me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a cool level because it has a lot in it that are all very tightly themed. Uh, and I think it works better than nearly anything else. Yeah, I think the the levels in this are at their best when they're the most creative, mm-hmm. and that level certainly was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like that one, the train part of the 60s level and the future level, or like the one with the RoboCop guys, 2050-whatever. We're all like I think those are all right in a row almost, mm-hmm. and those are like my three favorites, I think. Yeah. Because like, yeah, like... Towards the end, it gets a little bit more just, like, enemy base (laughs) sort of territory. I do want to jump in to just quickly criticize the fact that the the bad guy in this game constantly builds underground bases. Mm -hmm. Like, every single one. It's like a joke, like lots of other things, yeah. (laughs) It's just, like, in the... Because, like, the first, like, the one in in the mansion makes sense because it is a parody of resident evil which had a, a, a yeah. weird science base in the basement so they just kind of did that again in this and then they're like the, like the one that's set in the ocean and they're like we built a base underneath of the island uh-huh. that's like, like it's so james bond like <laughs> yeah. the enemy base is always underground mm. which is why next time on no clip pocket we're talking about uh welcome to my underground <laughs> lair exactly <laughs> It's right there in the title. Yep. Uh, for all you listening, that's uh, Game Boy game developed by Rockstar. They licensed Austin Powers tie-in game that is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's extremely. Do look it up. I won't promise that we won't cover it, but you will wish that I could promise that. <laughs> <laughs> it's its existence is funny to me every time that I remember it exists. And the fact that I just have a physical copy yep. of it. I don't know when or where I got it. But yeah. Uh, I do want to move on to talk about the multiplayer. But in order to do that thoroughly, I want to talk about this game's arsenal, as I was mentioning. Because to me, there is a really direct comparison uh, to Goldeneye here, where the style of gun and the, like, variety of guns is really similar. And that is to say, actually not as expansive as I would have liked. Uh, it's the kind of game that, that really thrives on its, like, wackiness. And when I think back to my days playing Perfect Dark, there is a disgusting variety of weapons to choose from in that game. 
in a really entertaining way where they threw game balance out the window because there's so much customization in these arcade modes that it didn't really matter. You could set the games up in a balanced way if you wanted to, or you could set up the golden magnum situation where everyone just starts with a gun that kills in one hit and you just go like, who can shoot you in the foot the best? Uh, and there's, there's a, that is a huge part, I think, of what made these games such a mainstay of, like, living room, casual mm-hmm. split screen. Land parties, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. And, like, because we went through this and you saw me trying to, like, make custom weapon loadouts yeah. that were, like, that worked. Interesting. Were yeah. yeah. And it's hard. Like, I, I feel like there's, you can do it if you just fill it with like a bunch of guns that shoot bullets and grenades and that's not but that's not the interesting thing right Mm -hmm. like you want the thing like this game has a weapon called the injector that when you shoot somebody with it i need actually didn't test this and i should have before we came in here you shoot if you shoot someone with it several times they explode it's like a weird it's like the needler from uh uh, Halo, Halo, but without homing bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a similar weapon in Perfect Dark, and I'm gonna keep coming back to Perfect Dark because, as far as I'm, as far as this genre goes, Perfect Dark is the flawless execution of multiplayer. You mean perfect? It's perfect. I wanted to avoid saying it more than <laughs> once in a sentence, but Perfect Dark's multiplayer is perfect. It is. Uh, it has the same limitations as Goldeneye did. Uh-huh. And is it less dark than this game? <laughs> At times, no. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not perfect, but okay. very nearly so. It is the same level of customization, if not more, and the weapons were really fucking goofy, and there's a weapon like this uh, that is a gun that looks really weird. It looks kind of like a stapler. Not like a staple gun, but like just a regular stapler. Mm-hmm. And you shoot little tabs at people, and eventually they'll die. But if you can walk directly up to somebody and just in, and hit them in with touch it, range. yeah, it kills them instantly. Nice. Uh, and I loved that. Like that's such a good mechanic. And then it also had like the laptop gun. This is the perfect dark podcast. Uh-huh. The laptop gun is great because it's like an SMG, but then it's alternate fire turned it into a turret, and you threw it, and the turret would just sit there and shoot at people. Uh, it had the, in retrospect, very poorly named N-bomb, which you could throw and it made people drop all their weapons and they became drunk if they stepped into the cloud. Mm. It's good shit. And oh, proximity pinball <laughs> on the grenades was such a good decision. All of this shit is so wacky and wild and wet uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and American summer uh, and hot. And this game just feels like everything is very narrow. Yeah, I think the thing is is that there's too many kind of guns of the same type. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of guns, but yeah, like, when I noticed when you were making loadouts, you wanted, like, a variety, and there were, like, too many guns for, like, two or three different spots, and then, like, the coverage for, like, other weird stuff wasn't as strong. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit more, like, narrowed in on, like, efficiency, I guess, to, like, the detriment of that kind of wacky interesting loadout potential yeah and like part of it is the like do we think that it is the time travel element 
that causes some of these problems because you have like a Luger and a more modern handgun and the sci-fi handgun that are all essentially the same yeah. gun. Uh, I'd say yes and no, because like they need equivalent kind of guns in each time period, mm-hmm. which adds to that, like there being guns that fill the same roles. But also, that should open up even more possibilities, though, theoretically, to have like crazy, weird uh, future weapons go like Ratchet and Clank with it. Right. Um, but... I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's like, it sits in a weird spot, I think, um, as far as, like, game balance goes. Like, how you balance the needs of the campaign with the needs of the few. No, uh, <laughs> with the needs of the multiplayer. Yeah. Though that's the needs of the many. Yeah. The campaign would be the needs of the, the few. few. <laughs> well, that's a good point, too, because, like, in the, in the single player, you want to have... A gun. You want to have the same sort of like yeah, weapon. Yeah, you want balance. your handgun, you want your machine gun, yeah. your shotgun, etc. Right. Which there are, I mean, games generally have struggled to have like a variety of shotguns because it is a very like narrow sort of. Very specific thing. Yeah. Like I remember playing Counter Strike Source back in the day and it's like you open the like pistol or the SMG menu and there's like 10 options and like. Counter-Strike is a very, like, statistics-based game, where it's like, this gun is accurate at this range and has deals whatever damage, etc. And then, like, the shotgun tab has two options. You get the M3, you get the auto, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, shotguns, obviously, I don't expect a lot of variety, but you have to have, like, some progression for the player to hit when going through campaign levels. And then when you're making your multiplayer, you don't want to, like, leave a weapon like you did the work of programming that yeah weapon. include them all yeah yeah so you end up with this game that takes place over six distinct time periods and so you have six versions of a submachine gun and you're like oh okay well all right mm-hmm. just i guess we'll keep them all in so it just it does feel a little a little repetitive yeah in the in the arsenal and it makes me a little sad because i feel like there's such a uh, uh, there's there's potential. so much potential, yeah, yeah. And this yeah. Part where's of the that Time Splitters for? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think about in Time Splitters one because the strongest memory I have of Time Splitters one was on one of those challenges, which was to break a bunch of windows in a time limit, and in order to do it, the weapon they give you, which was available in the multiplayer, is a brick. It's just a fucking rock that you throw at people. Mm-hmm. And, like, where's the brick? Like, I want... Hashtag wa- bring back bricks. <laughs> Hashtag bricks, bricks back. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if any of these are good. Yeah, bring, back, bring back bricks is good alliteration. It's like a tongue sp- twister. It's like a tongue splitter. <laughs> tongue splitters, too. Bring back bricks. Brick perfect. The black bug bled blue blood. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Stop. Uh... What were we talking about? Guns in the multiplayer. Right. And how I was unable to find a wacky thing to put oh, in. Oh, the bricks in the Time Splitters 1, Strongest Memory, yeah. et cetera. Well, I'm just saying that the bricks would have been a solid addition to yeah, this. Th- yeah, you only have the baseball bat. Like, a couple more, like, melee weapons would have been fun. Mm-hmm. Or, like, like yeah, like a brick or, like, a baseball. Like a, a, like a non 
or not as lethal like projectile uh weapon that's not a gun yeah because the guns pretty much without exception are hit scan or very fast mm-hmm. projectiles yeah and... and then you do have your weird one-off things like the flamethrower or like the electric pulse gun uh like a harpoon gun and stuff and that's another thing because like the harpoon gun I, I don't even know why the harpoon gun is the thing I'm honing in on here. Uh-huh. The harpoon gun has, like, brethren in the FPS community. Yeah, it feels like it's mainly just designed for the level it's in. Yeah. It's like a, a weapon that's supposed to specialize in headshots, like a crossbow or something would in another game. Mm-hmm. Um, and this game is obviously impossible to do that with, for the most part, at least with our control setup. So, um but like yeah there's a there's a a stat system to the characters in this game which i like i like that they included that um to differentiate because as the as the loading screen tells you it's 150 plus playable characters and the fact that they all have different stat loadouts means that there's like a meaningful difference between one character and the other mm-hmm. they have the option to turn this off which i did after a couple of games but it is, like, a little bit of depth, like something that you can choose. Mm-hmm. And it helps balance sort of the odd job problem, where if you play as the character who's really short, then it, you're harder to hit by well, everybody else. Yeah, I felt like uh, the monkey is that in this game, yep. and he seemed like he was much harder to kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the monkey is absolutely the, the odd job of the game. There's also a robot with a fish on his head uh-huh. named Robofish. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Uh, who's also pretty short as well and has a similar problem. And then you also have characters that are, like, huge and are easy to hit or have giant heads like Handyman, uh, which makes headshots a lot easier to land. Yeah, this stood out to me as well when we first started, um, when we first booted up the multiplayer, was how different the sizes were mm-hmm. between all the characters. I'm like, if you, a game now would try and make all of the characters have the same hitboxes. Yeah. And, like, would not have these characters that are, like, so much different in size. Yeah, it's, like, a weird difference between, like, in some games, you want a character with a big hitbox if they are mechanically totally different than a character Right, with like a Team hitbox. Fortress or something. Yeah. And then you look at something like this, and it's like, they you have the option to turn it off, like the character abilities, mm-hmm. but even with them on, just being a guy with a giant head isn't helpful yeah. ever. I mean, you're probably more knowledgeable on this than me, but like I didn't notice them at all. Like a difference from when you we had them on and you turned them off. Oh yeah, I couldn't either. It felt very Mario Kart, mm-hmm. where like there's a stat screen and it says that the characters have different stats, but like for the most part, you can't tell. Mm-hmm. Which uh, uh, which glider you choosing yeah, exactly. this time around? The Wario Wing, always. <laughs> Is it because it looks like a nose and mustache? Exactly. Yeah, it is really good. Yep. Uh, the Hyrule kite is also cool when they added that. But the Wario wing of Time Splitters Future Perfect is calamari. Oh yeah, he's the thing that I remember about this game. <laughs> uh, playing it at Dan's house, uh, I said this at the end of the last episode. Um, this was in my head that shooter where you can play as a squid and a gingerbread man Uh, i always thought that was very cool and funny as like an eight-year-old yeah 
Yeah, there's lots of interesting. And I and designs. I still love calamaris. <laughs> My main. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. Oh, the thing I was gonna say the 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 tie together. We jumped into the characters. We can continue going uh-huh. with it. But the character stats include things like fireproof and shockproof, mm. which determines how much damage that you take from the flamethrower and the electrode tool. So even the one thing about some of the wackier weapons that made them interesting, as in they have elemental damage that actually does damage differently than bullets do, has a stat associated with it, but most people playing the game are probably just going to turn that off. And that, it just kind of bums me out, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish that they'd either gone harder into making it well, what I really wish is that I, they went harder into making it wacky. Like, yeah, it's like a Smash Brothers situation. Mm. Like, if it were a worse game, mm-hmm. you would really want the game to like lean into the items and stuff. But since it's very tight mechanically, people like to turn those off and take it seriously. Mm-hmm. This sits like in the middle, where like you want it to lean one way or the other. Yeah. And, like, multiplayer obviously was something that the game was going to sell on because that's what these games lived for Mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, That's why they bothered programming bots and stuff, like things that are mostly left out of modern shooters because of the accessibility of the internet. We can now, like, in in 2000, you would boot up a game and be like, oh, yeah, I played a really intense game of a multiplayer shooter with me versus Andy and we went back and forth and won some lost some but there are 10 other AI people in the background right that are essentially <laughs> who serving... would win one third of the time <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no they slaughtered us at least the first couple of games yep uh but yeah like that that is just like a it's an element of the game and i wish I think that this game's mechanics are not strong enough to support the go harder on balance option. Yeah. I think that you, you wanna you've lean, nailed it. Yeah, you want to lean the wacky items direction. Yeah. There's a character in this game called the Shoal, who is a, oh, yeah. a whale and then a, like 11 other fish. Yeah, just swimming around him. Like in my head canon is that he's a psychic whale and he like <laughs> levitates the fish around him. That's probably that's as good as explanation. But yeah, like as I any. fucking love that though. Like I thought I had seen the weirdest that this game had to offer and then there's Shoal. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just it's so wild and they obviously leaned into it with the tone oh, and yeah. the story of the plot and all of the 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 campaign is very wacky and I it makes you wish more of those characters were in it. Oh yeah, the fucking uh, well I don't know all of them. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a single thing. Like it starts out with more like regular human characters, but like once you hit like twenty, it's all weird shit after that. <laughs> yep, I remember because like there are several of them that you don't really get a look at when you're playing the game because they're like. Like the zombies and the mutants in the uh, in the in the '90s level, mm-hmm. it are like it's dark. There's well, a it's lot low of res. It's low res. You're trying to run through and get and survive, and so you shoot them all, and you don't really get to look at the character models. And so you get this like big list of like these models that were used in the game that are really interesting, and then you get the wild shit, and you gotta love the wild shit. Like 
Yeah, like like I mentioned, Handyman is like a robot with a big glo- is like Glover on his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird, but like I like that it's there. Oh yeah, like it would have been really fun to be on the uh, character design team because they did seem like they were just putting a checkbox. Oh yeah, anything. it seems like it, it, the first hundred fifty submissions uh, make it in. Mm-hmm. And then the boring corporate guys made like eight different versions of Cortez. Right, like, yeah. Sure, sure, whatever. We'll yeah. put it We in. need all the ones for the campaign, but then after that. Which is whatever uh, you want. Whatever. <laughs> 80, 85 blank slots. <laughs> uh, I wonder if I'm just not remembering and that some of these characters were in previous games. I think they were. And I was going to bring this up way earlier, but I think that's how they're able to have so many is they were already in previous games, like a handful of them. Because I'm pretty sure the one that I remember playing is Time Splitters 2, mm-hmm. and that had Calamari and the Gingerbread Man in it. Because, yeah, there's no way I would have played that one as a kid if it came out in 2005. Like, I would have been, like, 12, 13 then. And I'm talking, I remember, like, being, like, 9. <laughs> That's so. true. Yeah, I'm, that's actually what I'm. What I what I want to find out right now is uh, when did the original Time Splitters and Time Splitters Two come out? Because like, yeah, maybe it was even the first one that I remember. I'm not sure. Yeah. The yeah, the first game was okay. It was published by us, developed by Free Radical, and came out in 2000. It has like a weird parenthetical that says 2000 2002 but 2000 is its uh initial release Mm -hmm. uh so there was only five years between all three of these games okay so it was probably the first one that i remember Mm -hmm. but yeah it, it is a weird thing this game has more content than you would ever expect at least nowadays like i wouldn't expect the amount of shit that's in this game to exist. i was kind of impressed Mm-hmm. by some aspects of it it's like you forget that this is kind of like what games were back in the day yeah yeah like it's um the tone um to circle back around to that um i remember booting it up and being like oh man like this is so like 2002 or whatever yeah um but like games were just like this for a little while like there's like this period of like video games adolescence where they were like these growing pains of like some games wanted to be taken more seriously and be more cinematic and other games seem like they knuckled down on being like juvenile and weird. (laughs) Um, And this is kind of one of those games uh, that just really revels in being goofy. Which timeline did we go down? (laughs) Let us know in the comments below. Because yeah, like, not all games, but a lot more games were like this, and you don't really see stuff with this kind of tone anymore. Yeah. Especially not the kind of thing that releases and just says, like, <laughs> like we just did everything that we could with the engine we had, mm-hmm. and that's the game. Like, the extras menu, like, the the challenges modes, things that are, like, just an exploration of what you can do with the mechanics. Like, it does still happen, but it isn't common, and mm-hmm. it it's something I do kind of miss, even though they largely don't add much sub, like substantive to the game. 
Yeah, we talked about this kind of stuff before, and I think this would have definitely counted as like a triple A release when it came out, but yeah. this feels like a double A game, <laughs> like by today's standards. Mm-hmm. And like, because games are so expensive to make now, you don't really get those anymore. And I think that's definitely like had a negative impact uh, on the industry. Like, you like outside of indie games, you don't really get very many weird experimental, like, or goofy or weird games um that are like widely marketed and are popular yeah like you used to so like you just things that are a little bit more like uh homogenous now Mm -hmm. yeah there's like an expected set of things that you have in your game and anything else is just mostly cut at this point Mm -hmm. um we talked about smash brothers earlier and it's not a terrible comparison, because Smash Brothers is a game that I was surprised that in the most recent iteration has 70-plus characters. And it even cut, like, a lot of the features that were in the older games that were more in Time Splitters sort of, like, zone. Mm-hmm. Like, we lost... Break uh, the targets. Break the targets and board the platforms and Subspace everything. Yeah, all the adventure modes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wh- didn't have the home run contest until like one of the later updates. Stage builder also. Stage got builder, added. Yeah. yeah. And this game, out of the box, is a campaign, a multiplayer mode, with a bunch of different options. It's not complicated, but it does allow for a lot of sort of variety. The challenge mode, it has a map builder in it. Mm-hmm. Online functionality where you can share those maps. I'm sure that you can't now, mm-hmm. but it was there at the time. It's just, I don't know, it's wild. Yeah, it's it came out before DLC and patching. Um, True. You had to make a more complete product back then. Um, like I was thinking about this once again. Uh, take a drink, <laughs> all you listeners. I was thinking about Kingdom Hearts. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the difference between like KH2 and KH3, whereas like 2 feels like it has so much extra stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one, because it came out at the end of the PS2's life, and Square had made a bunch of games for the PS2, and they had the code base, and et cetera, et cetera. It was a sequel. And so it just came like packed with all this stuff, like extra stuff, like uh, like you had like the things like the Tron level and mm-hmm. like the Timeless River stuff in addition to, like, as many worlds as there were in the first game. Like, it just felt like it went above and beyond and packed in as much as it could. And, like, it had a weird skateboarding minigame, which is really weird. It had all this stuff in it, and it's like... I remember that. Yeah, it's like... I think it's something... It's a combination of the fact that it was a sequel, so it could be iterative. But also, like I was saying, like, games were cheaper to make back then, so, Mm -hmm. like, doing all that kind of stuff now would cost a lot more. And, like, that's one of the ways I think, like, KH3 was lacking is it felt, like, kind of bare bones uh, as far as, like, all the stuff that got included. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, like, a big, uh, like, DLC hater. Like, we ought to cut stuff out of the launch day release so you could sell it back to us for $10. Yeah. (laughs) Greedy devs. (laughs) Uh, But it is, like, because realistically, the challenges are not a real thing <laughs> they're there and you can do them and they have like an arcadey high score thing to them but most of them are not that fun in comparison to just like the main gameplay and they're there if you have this game and nothing else 
uh, and just need to milk more time yep, out of it. That was more common back then. Yeah. And, you know, fuck it. Like, I support the existence of it. I think it's very cool, and I would love to see more people do more experimental things with the game that they produce. Mm-hmm. I, I talked dismissively about it on Resident Evil 7, but, like, even that, like, I'm amused. The, uh, the punching. The crocodile punching. Yeah, like, the the end of Zoe is like a, or the whatever, is a wild uh, inclusion of something that they put together and threw out there, and it's in the same engine, it's in the same universe, but it sure doesn't feel like the same game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I have an appreciation for this, even though I don't mourn its loss. It's like a very interesting novelty that was very prevalent in this 2000-2005 yeah. era. It's just one of those things that it feels like more people should be aware of or remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you don't want to forget that history because you could it could result in newer games doing interesting sh- stuff um, if they look back for inspiration, so... A vision. Do we have future thoughts? Um, okay, my future thoughts are this game was mechanically very standard to me. <laughs> um, I, I booted it up, and once we got uh, the settings ironed out for our setup, it felt very like first-person shooter to me um as somebody who doesn't have a ton of experience with them um it still felt very familiar uh but the strengths of this i think are in its tone um it skews a little bit more uh juvenile and goofy than i'd like like um i still like a lot of that stuff but i think it's it goes a little too hard on it Mm -hmm. uh for my taste but um it does have an undeniable charm it is funny in parts um i like how it was like a triple A release and it's time and it's this goofy and like there's just something endearing about that. Um at least in a small dose. Um if you had more stuff like this, like, you know, if it got oversaturated, it probably wouldn't be so likable. But um as like a novelty as it is to me, like I it it made me like it a lot more than I probably would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, its biggest strengths I think are in its variety. Uh all the hundred fifty characters at least to me, uh, who doesn't play as many games like this, I thought the weapon variety was pretty good. Um, yeah, and the level variety, jumping through time is fun. Um, I liked how like lighthearted it took the time travel. Like a lot of the tongue in cheek stuff about it was actually pretty funny. Like some of the more well thought out like parody of like the action genre and like the James Bond kind of stuff, I thought worked. Um, but it does. It's it's a 2005 uh, game, and it has 2005 jank playing it now. Um, so it doesn't hold up super well, but it does hold up better than I expected it to. Um, coming to this, I thought it might be kind of a train wreck to play through this, but it doesn't. The train level is actually one of the best ones. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess I'll wrap it up. Um I don't have particularly nuanced thoughts on shooters, so a lot of uh, my stuff goes more towards like the presentation and the tone and stuff, and I found it to be entertaining. Yeah. So that's that's my future thoughts. Uh, man, no. Uh, 
I don't think ever before has there been a more correct just reiteration of what I was thinking <laughs> on Final Thoughts. Yeah, this game, first of all, don't play this game on modern hardware if you can avoid it. Uh, it's very weird the amount of like additional jank that it introduces like on top of it being a PS2 shooter. Um, but... From my experience, both playing this game as a kid and only remembering the multiplayer. Like, I do, I did finish the game and I remember playing some of these challenges, but, like, the majority of my memory comes from just playing it with other people sitting next to me with controllers on the GameCube, which is where I originally had this game. Uh, it is a fun time, like in a way that a game was designed to be a fun time in 2005. Um, the single player is not too hard, not too easy, has a hard mode, has an easy mode. If you find that my statement is a lie uh, <laughs> and want to change it, um, but it, it is it's pretty straightforward. Uh, like this is a post headshots matter uh fps console game so heavy aim assist you said a variety of weapons and i do agree the like the arsenal is actually pretty high in terms of like sheer number of things but it just it falls down i think a little bit in the multiplayer is the only part but i and this is our audience engagement i guess Mm mm-hmm uh, to to my eyes, I don't remember a game, another FPS game, that I would rather play in the couch co-op situation, uh, than Time Splitters, like, especially two and Future Perfect, because like, after Perfect Dark, after Goldeneye, in the post, the post Perfect. <laughs> I can just I hear this plosives. Yeah, yeah. We need to get you a new pop screen. <laughs> especially but, especially uh, when we're talking about perfect. Dunk. Yeah, the the post retro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the at the time or modern rareware. I always do that. Oh There's, yeah, because they're both R names. <laughs> uh, yeah. In, in the post rare uh, era of of FPS games, like Timesplitters really filled that niche pretty well, uh, and. I think that's what a lot of people remember it for, and I wouldn't blame them for it. Like, it is still exactly what you expect from it. Um, I was surprised by the by the campaign as well. It was a lot more fun than I thought. It, the writing holds up better than I thought. I, admi- I imagined that the writing was going to not hold up in any way, and it held up somewhat, which is stellar an achievement (laughs) yeah for 2005 for video games the fact that the game is still a little bit funny uh and has charming characters and is only slightly racist occasionally uh a little bit sexist yeah and well (laughs) it's pretty sexist but like that's just every video game from 2005 Mm -hmm. um all of that combined, though, like I think, I think it evens out to be to hold up better than I ever would have imagined it would, uh, and that is that's a thumbs up. I think I enjoyed my time with this, as incomplete as it was, given our what eighteen point seven percent completion rate. Yeah, 
Apparently, yeah, doing the campaign gives you like 15% completion. Mm -hmm. You play 10 multiplayer matches and it's like 18%, I guess. <laughs> All right, I guess our consensus is time splitters, future, pretty good. Pretty good. The F FPG, mm -hmm. TSFPG. There you go. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about the Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Hell yeah, finally. <laughs> I can talk about this game with somebody. Uh, yeah, this has been a long one, and I have been playing it since May. So uh, Really? Oh, I guess you started it and then stopped. For a little while. Yeah, yeah. okay. I mostly played it in June. Um, but we will be getting to it in... August? No, it'll be end of July. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's a, I don't know why I'm the one fucking talking about it. It's a monolith <laughs> soft RPG. Yeah, it, it it came out on the Wii. It was, like, very late on the Wii, uh, and it was part of this... Um, this um, There was this petition to Nintendo. To, it was kind of, I think it was called Project Rainfall or something weird <laughs> like that. Um, there were these three RPGs coming out in Japan only, and there was, like, a petition to localize them because mm -hmm. there's, like, no RPGs on the Wii. And um, it ended up working, and it got localized for Europe, and then they just gave us the European localization, which is why the voices are European voice actors. But um, Which is great. I love that... It gives it a unique flavor. Yeah, but, it um, is such, like, a, a characterizing yeah, thing. Not to get series. into it too much, but... um. Yeah, it's a really ambitious. It blows my mind that like they made this for the Wii. It's mm -hmm. like it's a huge game, um, and it's got a lot going on, and it's very interesting, and it's I think very underappreciated. Um, even though like it seems like Nintendo actually promotes them pretty hard, they they've never really caught on. Um, they're like somewhat popular, but like I think they deserve more. But anyway, we'll get into that on the Xenoblade episode. <laughs> Uh, until that time, though, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com. Uh, there you can find links to our Discord server, to the YouTube channel where you can find all of our old episodes, uh, including episodes on Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, that one featured former co-host and all-around great dude, JJ Artimas. Uh, and... Ooh... We don't do shooters very much, no. huh? Early on, I didn't want to do them because I felt like I wouldn't have anything to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that stigma just stuck because I'm way more open to them now, but we just don't do them now. <laughs> we just don't think about it. Yeah. This episode... We talked about Call of Duty. Yeah, I was going to say, warfare. this episode was brought to you by Dan. Uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. Also former guest host uh, who... I know loves the Call of Duty episode for whatever reason. Mm. So uh, I guess probably because we're not the kind of people you think would talk about Call of Duty. That's probably true. Yeah. But there it is. There it is. There's the episode. Fucking time to hit that like button. Uh, jump through the wormhole a few times so you can click the like and subscribe and ring the bell all at the same time. It's a dual lock password screen cortez <laughs> jump back through the portal and this uh, time you have to write in the comment section <laughs> and also play pipe dream
And now, No Clip Mystery Theater presents Andy is Bitten by a Vampire and it takes effect during a podcast. Uh, but first, if you. Uh, <laughs>